All right, turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Heard y'all had a good preacher last week in Larry Warren who encouraged our body once again. We cannot be an ingrown church. We have to always look out. Thank God for Dr. Allen who's here this morning. One of the principals at J.T. Moore. She invited me Friday to visit a family along with her and the principal of the school, um, the little girl who was murdered in Nashville on Monday, who was shot uh, by allegedly a two-year-old. But that story is looking more and more suspect every day. Um, the little girl who passed has a brother who attends J.T. Moore. So we went to just encourage the family and Robin will be with the family this Wednesday for the home going of the child. And uh, it's about going and showing love, not trying to fix it, but being present. And that's how we grow as the young men preached and rapped Sunday. We, we, we grow when we go. We grow when we give. The Dead Sea is dead because it has no outlets. It just takes in from the Jordan River. It does not give out and that's why it's dead. If all we do Sunday after Sunday is take in, we're slowly dying. Life is found when we serve others, when we give away what God has given to us. We came back on fire. And by the way, Dr. Joe, no, I wasn't afraid of the voodoo priest. I just have wisdom. <laughs> I wasn't going over there. <laughs> I could put Joe on blast so easily right now, but I'm not even going to do that to him. Oh, man, Joe, Joe was our wild card, man. Joe was something else. Uh, today, after church, I've got to finish this message in 20 minutes because we've got some food down the hallway for our servants in the church. This is our annual servant banquet or servant luncheon. And this is just our way of trying to honor the people in our church who serve Sunday in and Sunday out, sometimes even during the week, helping in various ways. Now, um, we ask you multiple times to RSVP. And uh, we, we emailed it. We sent it out. It was online. Uh, April did a phenomenal job. And I think 110 responses came. So there is food down the hallway for the servants who responded to the invitation. Don't roll up in there talking about I serve here, but you didn't RSVP here. That ain't for you. Just like in that parable when that dude snuck in the banquet and he didn't have the right clothes on and they threw him out and there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you try to roll up in there and you didn't RSVP, we will throw you out. Now, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. 
I'm going to roll real quick on a message entitled, Speaking of Deacons. Speaking of Deacons. That's an apostrophe on that end. The G is not that. Because I went urbanically, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I used ebonics on that. It's speaking of deacons. Not speaking of deacons, because I am a former rapper, you know. So uh, I, I was going to rap for you this morning, but I'm out of time. I got to make sure I get to the word. So, uh, <laughs> no, I don't have time. We got, we got barbecue down the hall. But speaking of deacons, Acts chapter 6, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's cool and necessary for me to teach and preach. You put me in this place in your church. But the beautiful thing is you don't need me to teach your people. You'll use me and all the other qualified and gifted teachers to edify the body, but you don't need us. You've given each and every one of us your spirit. And he will be the one who leads us into all truth ultimately. And many of us, if not all of us, have a copy of the Bible for ourselves. So what I skim today, give your people the hunger and the desire to go deeper on their own. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for already for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, and our hearts have felt. Thank you, Lord, for a momentous baby dedication, child dedication. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for worship. Thank you for bringing Haiti to us this morning. Thank you for your servant leaders, Bob and Kay. Now bless this word as Strong Tower is trying to become better equipped so we can do more and more for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If I were to describe the first church with one word, the first church at Jerusalem, which was birthed on the day of Pentecost and last Sunday represented Pentecost Sunday which was 50 days after Passover, or what we would call Resurrection Sunday. The first church, the, the church in Jerusalem was born on that day when Jesus poured out his spirit on all flesh and the church was made alive. And as Bob said, the church is not a building, the church is the people and the head is Jesus Christ and we are his body. And as you read the book of Acts, if there was one word I would speak of this church, it would be, unprecedented, unprecedented. Number one, there were unprecedented experiences with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes the difference in the church. If we do not have the Holy Spirit in the church, we're just a gathering, a social gathering. But as Felicia said earlier, the Holy Spirit had his way. And there are times we plan on paper. Man devises the way, but God directs the step. And the Holy Spirit will lead us where he would have us to go. He doesn't drive us, but he leads us, and he's worthy to be followed. And the book of Acts is really called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. So if you ever wonder what Acts is about, what, what, where they came up with their name, it speaks of action, that the Holy Spirit produces action through the apostles, through the church, and there are so many unprecedented experiences that we'll see in the book of Acts. 
And the thing about it, when people read of these great experiences, miraculous healings and the pouring out of the spirit, people speaking in different languages and tongues, we think that that is the norm today. That what God did with that first church, he is supposed to do with every church in every era. But no, uh, there are many, many, listen to this, one-time experiences that occur in the book of Acts that will never be duplicated again. And so rather than just uh, 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 teaching on the experiences of the apostles, we should teach these one-time experiences, but above all, we should experience the teachings of the apostles. We just don't teach the experiences, but we experience the teachings because there are things that happen in Acts that will never happen again. Because if they were so important, then Paul and Peter would have written about them and John would have emphasized them in their letters, but they didn't. The thing that those apostles emphasized in their letters primarily was love. And the Holy Spirit ultimately brings love. Uh, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, which we're learning on Wednesdays, uh, the arc, uh, overarching fruit is the fruit of love. It is not miracles. It is not tongues. It is not interpretation of tongues. It is love. Can you love God and can you love your neighbor, especially your neighbor who comes from a different part of town? It was obviously unprecedented growth. They went from 120 people to 3,000 people to 5,000 people and on and on and on. They did not see that growth. They weren't trying to plan that growth. They didn't try to come up with the coolest way to reach a lot of people so that they could say that they have the biggest church in town. It was growth that happened by the Holy Spirit. Also, there was unprecedented adversity. There was attacks from without and attacks from within. Uh, the enemy tried to stop them. Wherever God is at work, just look around because the enemy is there too. And so he raised up opposition against the church, which we shouldn't think is strange because uh, we are going forward in Jesus' name and uh, to unlock the gates of hell. But the gates of hell aren't just going to sit there and let that happen. There will be resistance. And so you see resistance and adversity uh, happening from the outside and even from the inside when a couple of Christians wanted to lie about what their offering was. And so God had to um, have some church discipline uh, to deal with the situation. The apostles experienced prison and threats. Uh, again, unprecedented adversity. They had never experienced that before, but there was also unprecedented deliverance that when they found themselves in these places, God would send angels, God would open up doors, God would provide, and he would deliver his people time and time again. They would pray for boldness, and God would give them boldness through the Holy Spirit. He would shake the foundation of the houses that they were in. There was unprecedented deliverance, many one-time things that were happening with that church that we read about to be encouraged over what the Lord has done and what he can do. But not only that, there was unprecedented leadership. Leaders are people, men and women, who emerge when a need or a crisis presents itself. Did you hear that? Leaders are not born and leaders are not made. Leaders are pulled out when a crisis or a problem presents itself. Leaders are men and women who rise to the occasion. They don't have all the answers and they don't assume to be the answer, but they will rise up until the answer manifests itself. The 12 and a church of thousands, there were thousands in this church, the 12, speaking of the apostles, and these thousands of people had a problem. So they enlisted a team of seven servants to solve a legitimate problem. There was a legitimate problem. And so the church rose up because of leadership in the pulpit and leadership in the pew. 
and they decided, because everything rises or falls on leadership or a lack thereof, and they were able to attack a problem, a legitimate and real problem, and they were able to keep on going. You see, organizations and churches are a lot like people because they, we, are in a constant state of evolving and improving. You see, people don't want the church to change. Your strong tower didn't change. It's supposed to change because we're evolving and we're improving. If we don't change, that means we're not growing. You know, babies are cute, but if they stay babies, something is wrong. They got to grow. And sometimes they grow and their ears stick out and you didn't see that coming. It's like, well, your ears didn't do that when you were little. And so, so churches grow, organizations grow, things change. And the best organizations go through seasons of storming, forming, norming, and transforming. And this first church, as great as it was, they were not immune from changing. They went through a season of storming. There's going to be some forming. Then it's going to become some norming. It's going to become the norm. And then it will lead to transforming. The whole community is going to be blessed as a result of what the first church went through. So the first thing we'll see in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, is a legitimate complaint. Look at verse 1. It says, now in those days, remember the days of the early church, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, so church growth is happening, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Oh, this good church, this great church had problems. Every church has problems because every church is full of problemed people. And so if you're looking for the perfect church where complaints don't exist, uh, you got to wait till you get to heaven. Uh, you got to wait till you get to heaven when the church is caught up. However you believe in eschatologically, there won't be any complaints in heaven. But until we get to heaven, uh, we are broken, just like in Haiti. Uh, <laughs> there's a song Bob was giving us that in Haiti, there's always something broken. You know, it just, and that's how the church is. And if you dig a little bit deeper and you stop looking at the church as an organization and look at yourself, there's something broken in you too. That by the grace of God has not overtaken you. And by the grace of God, you're getting healed and you're getting better. There was a complaint in this church uh, because this church cared for widows. There were widows. And I'll just preach this point and I'll come back next week. That way I don't have to do a whole lot of studying this coming week. I just preached this. I got my sermon ready for next week. But the Holy Spirit being in change, the plan on Saturday. He even threw me an audible, said, no, don't preach that, bro. Oh, man, I had my work done. Uh, 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 there's a complaint. Because there were widows in the church. Um, and a widow is a woman who does not have a husband. And the church cared for these women daily, daily. Uh, there was a disproportionate number of widows in Jerusalem for two reasons, which launched this ministry for the church to have. You know, you don't have to go out and try to create ministry. You just look around and see what the needs are, and a ministry has created itself. So if you have a bunch of widows in your church, you have a widow ministry that has birth right there. So all of these widows are there for two reasons. Number one, people are coming into town for Passover and for Pentecost. So these Hebraic Jews, Hebraic Jews are living in town. 
They are natives to Jerusalem, but then you have the Hellenist Jews. They're coming from out of town. They're the diaspora. They're coming into town for the Passover and for Pentecost. So there's a whole lot of people in town, the, the native people, and then people coming from out of town. But not only that, you have a lot of people in town, but there was this understanding for Jewish people that in order for you to be resurrected, your body had to have been buried in Jerusalem. So this was tradition. This isn't truth. And so a lot of people, when they got older, who lived outside of Israel, they would move into town so that they could die in the city limits of Jerusalem or in the country of Israel so that their body, their spirit, could go up in the resurrection. Because if you died, according to their tradition, outside of Israel, in one of these other countries, because the Jews have been scattered all over the world, they believe that your body would have to burrow underground all the way to Israel so that you could participate in the resurrection. So they said, so that I don't have to do that, I'm going to move there. And because husbands usually die before the wife dies. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Well, why is that? Well, oh, the brothers usually go down first. Our life expectancy is short. I just thought it was in the black community, but it's also in the Jewish community. Huh? And so the ladies are there to hold it down, but once the husband dies and they're in this new area, they need to be taken care of. So the church begins to take care of the widows. Now, there's a problem going on because the Hebraic Jews or the native Jews uh, are discriminating against the Hellenistic Jews. Who are the Hellenistic Jews? Again, they're the ones who come from out of town. Hellenism is a form of what Greek culture did to the world. Greek culture influenced how the world uh, spoke, and, 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 and these uh, Jews, when they lived in these other countries, because they were under Hellenistic culture, they would speak the Greek language, and they would name their children with Greek names. So when they would come back home to Jerusalem, they were discriminated against because they were seen as being worldly people, uh, not really being religious, you know, like, like we are because the temple is here and God is here as if God is not out there in those other countries. And so they would have to do synagogue worship in those other countries. But when they came home, they were at the temple. So they were discriminated against not only because of the culture and the, the Hebraic Jews thinking that they were worldly, but they also came and they only spoke Greek. But the Hebraic Jews spoke Aramaic, Hebrew, and many of them also spoke Greek. So they were bilingual, multilingual, but those coming in, they may have spoken multiple languages, but if they didn't speak Hebrew, they were looked down upon. And so when there was this daily distribution of giving food and maybe even money to the widows, somebody said, we're not gonna feed those people, those women, because they're not from around here. They're Jewish, but they're Hellenist Jews. And so uh, don't give them any food. Put two biscuits on Sister Mary's plate and put no biscuits on, uh, uh, give me a black name, uh, uh, Shaniqua's plate. Don't, don't, don't put nothing on hers. And isn't that something? All this great work is going on in the church. The Holy Spirit is moving. 
and someone has the audacity to discriminate against someone in the church because of what language they didn't speak or what they did speak or where they come from. The church should not be about that. But unfortunately, from the first church until today, the church has primarily been the force of discrimination, especially in this country where we discriminate against people who don't look like us or, or they don't speak like us, they don't vote like us, they don't believe like us. And so there was this issue going on in the church. One person or group of people decided to misuse their authority to discriminate and neglect certain people in the church. And being neglected doesn't feel good. Being overlooked and discriminated against never feels good. But thank God, somebody spoke up and said, what's going on here isn't right. So they were complaining. They're passing over us. They're complaining. Somebody heard the complaint of the minority. Because that minority, they didn't have the kind of power that the majority had. They're coming into town, into Judah, into Jerusalem. It's not as many of them as there are in Jerusalem. So they don't have the power. Then when you look at the leadership structure, they're all Jews from either Judah or Galilee there. And so these minorities feel like they don't have a voice. Yeah, they're Jewish, but they're still discriminated against. And going into Haiti, what was beautiful? I was black like they are. Mike is black like they are. Joe is black like they are. But we didn't speak Creole like they speak Creole. And they would laugh at us a couple times because we try out two or three words. But they didn't put us down because we weren't from there. We were coming in and thank God they received us. So much so that I said, they received me more in Haiti as an outsider who didn't speak the language. I'm black like they are. But they received me more in Haiti than if I tried to walk in certain neighborhoods in Nashville amongst my people. If I went amongst some Negroes in Detroit, they look at me like, who are you? You ain't from around here. What's your set? Blood, cuss. And I might get taken out over some nonsense. But when I went to Haiti, you know those people that ain't supposed to have nothing. That, you know, got the voodoo in the land. Be careful of who you count out and say can't be used by God. And they embraced us. And they loved us. I wish the first church had done that. But they didn't do that. Because a little leaven works through the whole church. Somebody with a little bit of prejudice and discrimination. If you're not strong enough, that stuff can infect you. And you become part of that number. And next you become part of that number. And you are now standing up against God's people in his church. Who do you think you are? But thank God somebody said, this isn't right. They heard the complaints of the minorities, of the overlooked, of the outcasts, of the disenfranchised. And when they made the complaint... That's when the leaders heard and they decided to form a caucus to bring a solution to this problem. And if you come next week, we'll talk more about it. Amen. Amen. Uh, uh, Brother Baraka, I believe you're closing us in prayer. But, but hey, if you can't get here next week, guess what you can do? You can read the story for yourself. Amen. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yeah, man.